Well, Big D is back with a UFC 287 edition this afternoon. Before I bring in my UFC fun, please subscribe, like, and share the Spunky Spectrum Sports YouTube page. To put in away the drive for now, but uh, plenty of masters content available. Also, check out the uh, Big D podcast for all you audio listeners on Spotify and Apple. So, uh, joining us to preview UFC 287 in Miami this weekend, Action Network Fantasy Labs UFC writer Billy Ward. Billy. After uh, what seems like a long break, the UFC is back with a um, Pay-per-view in my neck of the woods. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I love these weeks off now. UFC weeks are busy for me, especially pay-per-view weeks. So getting that one off, focus on some baseball stuff, was a very nice little break in there. But happy to have it back this weekend. Yeah, and look at the look at the main event we have at 185 pounds between Alex Bahia and Israel Adesanya. I'm like, I'm like I've flipped on... The fight last night, and I'm like, Alex Bahia is the biggest middleweight I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a picture of him with uh, Jailton Almeida, who's a light heavyweight who's moved up to heavyweight, and you know, no small man himself. And Bahia looks legitimately bigger than this guy who's like somewhere between 205 and heavyweight. So I don't know how he makes it. I don't think, honestly, regardless of how this one goes, he's going to stay at middleweight for long, but. He is the current middleweight champ, so that's the situation he's in now. Yeah, I heard I heard he cut a an enormous amount of weight for that fight with Adesanya. I'm like, how much I mean, I because Bahia's what, six four, so he must have been what, two ten, two fifteen. So he would have cut like twenty five pounds. Yeah, I'd I'd take over very easily on two ten for walking around weight for him. Two twenty? Probably. That's probably about what I'd put him at. I mean, and it depends on how we're defining that, right? Because do we mean the Monday before a fight, or do we mean three weeks after a fight when he's just chilling? But so, like, there's some variation in there, but. So, thinking back to that to that last fight, uh, it was a, it was a, we knew what both guys were trying to do. We knew it would probably be a standing fight. Both guys would strike it because Behar's got lethal power, and Anderson's one of the best strikers in the UFC, but uh it was a back and forth fight because first round Anasani all but finished Bahia right at the buzzer. If there had been a minute or so left in the round, I think Bahia would have been dead meat, right? Yeah, definitely. And you know, it was interesting to see how much both of them at different points got takedowns in there here and there. I'm not suggesting that, you know, uh Bahia is a better wrestler than all the guys who couldn't take Adesanya down, but the fear of the striking from both guys kind of opened up some takedowns, which was a little bit interesting. I actually wouldn't be surprised if one or both of them goes that way a little bit more this time. You know, we've seen all the pictures of Paya trading with Glover, trading, training with Jaziro, uh, I'm sorry, Jailton Almeida, another high-level grappler. So I'm sure he's focused on it mainly defensively, but it could be an opportunity for either man to exploit and win some minutes here. Yeah, especially because in that last in that last fight, Adesanya finally took somebody down. He was almost becoming like the Francis Ngannou with like zero takedowns in his UFC career. Well, he's still behind Ngannou after uh, Francis got all those takedowns on Gan. But yeah, I mean that was the interesting part with the matchup the first time because we've seen Bahia beat him as a kickboxer. 
And while Adesanya has far more MMA experience, he was pretty much kickboxing offensively and only grappling defensively. So it's hard to see, you know, it's hard to say that he's all of a sudden going to turn into Randy Couture or something just because he's fighting a guy who's beat him in kickboxing. And he tried it a little bit and it, it worked for him. He was winning minutes that way, but he didn't really do a lot of damage or ever put him in much, much danger on the ground. Yeah, thinking back to that third, fourth round, watching and wondering, maybe was Adesanya trying to exhaust Bahia by having him on the ground, by riding him for all those minutes? Because it seemed like good, watch on the third round, good chunk of the fourth round, Bahia was just was struggling to get his breath. Yeah, I don't know how much of it is cardio and how much of it is just you got to spend 25 minutes with little gloves on against this guy who's knocked you out with bigger gloves on. So if you can eat up some of that time while making sure you win the round from the top, that that's the strategy I would take if I was Adesanya. I would also, if I'm him this time around, and I said the same thing with Usman and Edwards because this is a really similar scenario we find ourselves in. But if I'm Adesanya, I'm going to push a little bit harder to get that finish. You know, he kind of came close in the first round, as you alluded to, but he took his foot off the gas in there for a little while. And it just seems like maybe the safest option in a weird way is to press a little bit. Because if you get him out of there, you don't need to worry about those late knockouts or comebacks. And we know Pahea can put him out at any time. So, you know, why why play with him for 25 minutes instead of trying to just get him out of there and get out of that danger? Yeah, one way to making sure the fight doesn't go 25 minutes is winning early. Right. And, you know, I, I said the same thing with Usman, who didn't really try that, you know, any more than he has in past fights. But, you know, like I alluded to, this is a very similar fight, right? We had the long-reigning champion kind of rolling through everyone. Rematch against a past foe he has a long history with. Miracle knockout in the fifth round in both cases. And now we've got, you know, Pahea playing the role of Edwards as the defending champ. Interestingly enough, though, you know, DraftKings with the DFS pricing and various sports books, they have caught on. We're not getting those plus 200s and very cheap DFS prices like we were on Edwards. This one is pretty close. You know, he's Potan's a slight underdog, but still 7,900 on DraftKings, not someone that you can just guarantee is going to be a value. This is also a tough one. These guys tend to not put up a ton of fantasy points just because they're not very active. They're not looking for a lot of takedowns. So if Whoever doesn't get a knockout here probably has a pretty disappointing score. On the flip side, reasonable salaries on both guys. So you're going to have to play at least one of them. But it's one where I could almost see an argument for not playing both in cash because the loser probably ends up with a pretty bad score. What and may and may end up and may end up seeing stalls. Yeah, there's that. But you know, even if they don't, I'm going to pull up the game logs right now. Like Without getting the win bonus, they just don't do all that much. You know, only 86 significant strikes from Adesanya in their last matchup, which isn't bad, but when you consider that he's not getting any takedowns, that doesn't give you a ton of points. I don't know why it's not pulling up on the uh, the points on here, but let's see if I can find it. Yeah, only 58 fantasy points in a loss, which obviously isn't bad. You know, a lot of losers end up with less than that, but it's it's just not that activity rate. Right? You know, even if he won a decision there, that's still only 88, not a great score. You know, pay a 92 with the win. Again, not a great score, not like a have to have it. You're certainly happy with it at his salary, but that's the debate. If you have a strong take on this one in cash games, I could certainly see just playing the guy you think is going to win and letting the other one, letting the other one go. But it would be weird only having, but it would be, be weird having only one fighter in the main event when there's only one title fight. 
Yeah, absolutely. But it really just comes down to, is there someone else in that price range that you think has a shot at winning or you expect to win? Because if there is, I'm fine with fading either of the main event guys. Personally, I'm going to ride with Bahia on this one. I just think for whatever reason, he's got Adesanya's number. I like the training that he's been doing with, you know, real high level grapplers, which I think has shored up that hole in his game. If he gets on top of Adesanya, that could be scary too. You know, we've referenced how big he is and the size advantage he has. If he's able to get a takedown when Adesanya is worried about his hands, that could be a really tough situation for Izzy, someone that much bigger and stronger on top of him. So I'm contemplating fading Adesanya, probably not entirely, but, you know, going much heavier on Pahea, perhaps just Pahea in cash games. Because if he gets a finish, then you're in a real good spot using that spot that you would have uh, rostered Adesanya with on somebody else. And if Adesanya ends up... And- if there's one weakness with Adesanya, it's going up against it's it's probably his ground game because he's not, not a wrestler by trade. So if Pahir, who's gonna be who's gonna be going in, into this fight as the much bigger guy, could potentially call make that loophole a much bigger problem, especially if he's training with uh, all those great Brazilian guys. Yeah, and, you know, you have to imagine he's primarily training all of that stuff defensively just to make sure he can get back up, he doesn't get stuck. But, you know, maybe you learn a takedown or two training with those guys. Maybe you get something that you feel confident with. Winning some minutes for Pay would be huge. You know, we talk about wearing on someone's gas tank. Imagine how much work Adesanya would have to do to get Pay off of him. It'd be like the Jan Blahovich fight, right? And Pay might be just as big as Jan, so that's kind of the weakness we saw with Adesanya there. With that said, you know, he won 80% of that first fight, so I can certainly see the case for him. But I'm not playing him as a favorite. I'm not betting him as a favorite, and I'm not playing him as the more expensive fighter in tournaments for sure. Uh, for both guys, if Anderson, if Anderson does not win this fight, does this mean he's out of the UFC title picture? And if Pahir wins this fight, does this mean potentially he's in... I mean, because... I think he he could put on another twenty pounds and still be just as effective. Yeah, I mean that's that's the real question because if Pahea wins it, but then vacates and says I'm going up to two hundred five, I'm not making this cut anymore. Then we've got Adesanya right back in it. You know, do we have him fight Hamzat or something crazy like that? We've got it's a pretty intriguing middleweight division right now. There's some worthy challengers in there, so that one would be an interesting turn of events, you know, with Adesanya getting another shot because Pahaya leaves. In terms of Pahaya coming up, I mean, he might be the toughest matchup for Jamal Hill right now at 205. People who've listened to us talk when Hill has fights know how huge of a fan of his I am. You know, I know his coaches. He's from the same area as me. I think he's a really tough matchup because he keeps his range really well and keeps guys from getting to him and getting takedowns. Pahaya's not going to try to take him down. He'll get in there and trade with Jamal. So, you know, if that fight were made right now, I could see Pahaya even being the slight favorite against Jamal Hill because we don't have to worry about Jamal taking him down. And, you know, he's just as good of a striker, if not better, with more pop. So that would be a fun one if he goes up. I could see him going up with a win or a loss, right? I could see him losing to Adesanya and saying, all right, man, you got your 185 back. I'm going up. I'm not making this cut anymore. I could also see him winning and say, hey, I was only doing 185 to get my fights with this guy on. Now I'm going to jump up to 205. So we'll be very interesting. Probably wouldn't expect any announcements, you know, right away. But if we hear something from that, that'll be very fun to see how it shakes up potentially two different divisions.
I mean, I can't imagine Anasani going 0-3 against anybody, but if you count the one kickboxing fight a few years ago, you imagine going 0-3 against Bahia? Well, they had two kickboxing fights, so it'd be 0-4. Okay, two kickboxing, so then be 0-4 maybe. Right, so I it's almost impossible to see him getting another title shot against Bahia if he loses here. But, you know, if he loses and Bahia goes up and vacates the belt, that's one option. If if Adesanya wins, do they do a trilogy at middleweight? That might work while we're waiting on Hamzat to get a middleweight fight because there's no obvious contenders. There's no one beating down the door. You know, welterweight and lightweight, we're, we got a bunch of guys that I'd love to see get shots at the title. Middleweight, Hamzat, we're definitely interested in, but then it's guys like Vittori and Whitaker who have beat everyone but Adesanya, and in that case, each other. So I'd love to see them get a shot, but, you know, I'm not going to be too upset if they don't get one right away because we're holding this one up for a trilogy fight. You mentioned middleweight, and there's a pretty intriguing middleweight co-main event between Gilbert Burns and Hoy Mavidal, where I, I am I am, bef- I am intrigued but wondering... Could maybe both these guys be just out, just outside their prime of having a good chance of winning the 170-pound belt, particularly now that Leon Edwards has firmly established himself as the best best 170-pound guy, guy in the division? I mean, it's another parallel situation with the middleweights, the welterweight picture, that is, because we have guys in you know Burns and Masvidal who it kind of felt like they could beat anyone except Kamaru Usman. Now it's not Usman's title anymore. So it really opens things up for both of them. I don't really think Masvidal deserves to be in that kind of position. You know, he's had a pretty rough run of it. I think he's 38, where, you know, Burns is 36, only two years younger, but he seems, but he's got way less fights. You know, he spent most of his 20s doing grappling competitions and learning that, where Masvidal was fighting in backyards and taking a bunch of damage. You know, Masvidal's on a three fight losing streak, but two of them are Usman, and one was Covington where, you know, Burns lost a very close decision to Hamzat and then Usman. And I, I was worried about Burns being past his prime, but his performance against Hamzat and then his next fight, where he looked really, really good against a tough guy and Neil Magny get him out of there in the first round, he might not be. You know, it's not just it's not just chronological age. It's damage and, you know, years on the odometer or miles on the odometer more than just years. Absolutely, and plus thinking back to the uh, Gilbert Burns versus Usman fight, he even put the he even put Usman into a couple of difficulties. Yeah, I mean, skill for skill, he's he's as good as anyone. I don't really see anyone else in this weight class or really any other who's all around better than him. You know, obviously, elite level grappler competed in some of the toughest events around doing that, but he's really added you know added to his striking game. He got in there and traded with Hamzat and was real close to finishing him a couple times. The one issue, though, with Burns is maybe his chin is not all that great because he was knocked out by Usman. He was knocked out by Dan Hooker in a lightweight fight, which not a great look. So with a guy like Masvidal who can put anyone away, this is a little bit of a scary one. I'm not personally going to bet it. I'm going to play a lot of Gilbert Burns. I bought a ton of Gilbert Burns Rainmakers a while ago getting ready for this one. But, you know, for a long shot bet or my prop squad over at Action Network, a Masvidal knockout at very long odds is a little bit intriguing. And obviously that makes him an interesting DFS play because that is extremely cheap salary. He's the cheapest fighter on the slate. He can pull a knockout out of there. You're going to have to have him in lineup. So fun fight. You know, I'm not really sold on Masvidal being that top level guy anymore 
whereas with Burns, I'm pretty confident that he is. But, you know, he's got a better than normal puncher's chance at finding the chin. You think, especially for Burns, who wins this fight on Saturday, that he potentially sees the winner of uh, Leon Woods and uh, Kobe Cuppington, perhaps? I don't know, man. Welterweight's so jammed up. Like, Bilal Muhammad has deserved a title fight for, like, 10 fights in a row now, it feels like. I really thought he deserved it over Colby. You know, Bilal was supposed to fight Leon Edwards, but they had a no contest because Edwards poked him in the eye. He, You know, he hasn't fought those guys yet. Burns has not fought Edwards or Covington yet, so it certainly would make some sense. Certainly a bigger name, but we got guys like Shavkat, who definitely deserve a title fight. Bilal Muhammad deserves a title fight. Probably those two end up fighting each other, which sorts that out. But I'd really like to see some of these deserving up-and-comers get it more than the same three or four guys that we've been watching fight for the welterweight title for a few years now. Would it be like the same guys fighting, fighting Alex Volkanovski at 145? Like, enough of you fighting mm-hmm. Max Holloway. Let's get somebody else in here. Yeah, and obviously it being Edwards instead of Usman opens things up a little bit. But if we just have Edwards then fight all the guys that Usman just fought, we're kind of in the same, you know, like he's immediately getting a guy that Usman beat twice. So I would like to see some new blood in there, but those guys are all a little bit younger and have their time. You could certainly make a case if Burns looks good here that he deserves the next title fight. I would rather see him get it than Colby, assuming he wins here. That that would be my stance, but nobody asked me. Uh, besides the uh, middleweight championship fight and the co-main, what fight are you looking forward to seeing the most? Man, th- this is a tough one. I was kind of complaining before the last UFC that outside of the title fight, it wasn't anything I was super into. This one is the total opposite. I, I don't want to just say all of them, but since you're going to make me pick, I'm going to say Raul Rosas. He's fighting in the main card opener. You know, I think everyone knows the story now. He fought on the Contender Series at 17, became the youngest UFC fighter ever at 18. And they're giving him a little bit of a step up in competition here. He's fighting Christian Rodriguez, one and one in the UFC. Definitely a tougher fight than Jay Perrin was. I think it's a bad stylistic matchup for Rodriguez. I think they did that on purpose to try to get make Rosas look good. But it's going to be really interesting to see if he can keep climbing the ladder a little bit. He says he wants to be the youngest champ ever. You know, a win here and he's well on his way. He's only, you know, minus 210, minus 220 range as a favorite compared to much longer odds before. But I'm just really excited to see this kid step up against some tougher levels of competition. See if he strikes with him a little bit because we haven't really seen him do that. See if he can, you know, work his submission games against a guy who also has good grappling. Just very intriguing fight, but like every fight on the card. I- I'm very excited for this event. I think I am too, not just because it's the first Miami UFC event in 20 years. You were probably, you might have been at that Matthews fight in April of 2003. Weirdly enough, I have been to as much live MMA as, you know, Almost anyone out there, never been to a UFC event. <laughs> never been in person. You should go the next time. You should go with the UFCs in Detroit or Columbus one of these days, right? Yeah, if they ever make it back or I happen to be traveling somewhere. But uh, but no, I mean, to expand a little bit on the card, just a ton of great fights. Uh, Ignacio Bahamonde is fighting on the undercard. He's got a replacement opponent. He's a lightweight. I think we could see fighting for the title sooner rather than later. 6'3", six, 6'4", six, one of the tallest guys in the division. Extremely aggressive strikes, great elbows. Has one split decision loss since he made it to the UFC, but has finished everybody else, including the Contender Series. That's a good one. Chris Curtis, always fun. 
fighting Kelvin Gastelum, who should be the more skilled fighter, but, you know, we've seen so many issues with Kelvin just making it into the cage and the bad run he's been on. And Curtis can knock out anyone, as we've seen him do. Oh, man, I'm going down the list. I'm actually really excited for Luana Pinheiro versus Michelle Watterson. Michelle Watterson is like the human boring fight, right? Like she tries to stay away. She basically shadow boxes eight feet away from you and hopes the judges score it. But Pinheiro is super aggressive. She just blitzes in with strikes, trying to force the clinch, and then huge high-velocity judo throws. So anyone who likes throws or has done some judo or understands it a little bit, that one's going to be fun because I watched her in the last couple of fights she's had in the UFC. She was just flipping people on their head left and right. So, you know, lesser known fighters names wise, but I'm very excited for that as, you know, a very strong or very committed grappling nerd. Uh, with this fight taking place in the Sunshine State, uh, my next question is, who is your favorite Florida born and bred, which is something weird because everybody moves down here Born and bred or Florida train fighter? That's what I was going to say. If I had to be born there, I would have a really tough time because I know everyone that trains at like ATT and all those places. All right. Can I super cheat and see, and say uh, Habib? Uh, you, yes, you can cheat. He, he trained at top team. No, actually, honestly, thinking more recently, I've been a huge Gilbert Burns fan for a long time. Just as a guy who likes grappling and watching him do that at a high level. And then, but he's not one of those grapplers who's just trying to pull guard and wrap up your leg. He's not Paul Craig or Ryan Hall. He's an aggressive grappler, but he's not aggressive just to get a takedown and sit on you. Then he hunts for submissions, but he'll also get in there and just trade with you. Done it at a couple different weight classes, pushes a fast pace. So I always get excited to watch Gilbert Burns. I wish he had a little bit more of a challenging matchup this time, but I'm fine with that. His fight versus Tom's out last year was probably my favorite fight of the year. I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. Uh, I've got one from my neck of the woods. How about Nico yeah, yeah. Price? Is he from Florida originally? Cape Cool. It where? Cape Cool. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I like I said, I don't know where these guys are from a lot of the times unless they're people I know from the Michigan MMA scene. Went to Mariner. I think he went to Mariner High School here in Southwest Florida. Oh, nice. I remember him fighting one of those UFC events in Jacksonville, and he wanted the fight, but the doctor's like, you, you're done. He looked, Nico Price looked like he went, looked like he fought fifth, Mike Tyson for 15 rounds and wanted to continue like the judges, and the doctor's like, no, 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 you're done. You're done. My big Nico Price memory is when he fought Donald Cerrone in should have won the fight, but fouled him and got a point taken away, and then was just so happy to get a draw because he didn't want his hero, Donald Cerrone, to take the loss, which was hilarious to me because Cerrone was obviously very upset that it was the draw, and Nico Price was like, this is the best possible outcome. Like He wanted, he didn't want to lose, but he didn't want Cerrone to lose, and somehow he made it happen, which was hilarious. Yeah, you imagine that happened on Saturday night. We get the hand on a Sonia draw, and, and nobody wins. They should just make them – they should use, like, ultimate fighter rules for draws and title fights. Go to a sixth round. Yeah, I mean, who says no? Probably a lot of people, but – Maybe make it, like, an add, a, add another minute to the fifth round. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. It, it would be fun, but, you know, the reason, the reason we do odd numbers is to try to make sure we don't have too many draws and then people commit fouls, which messes that all up. 
Okay, uh, Billy, taking a break from USC for a second. Uh, we know you are a Detroit Lions fan at, uh, through and through. I mean, it's been forever since the Lions won a playoff game. But uh, what would be your De ideal Detroit Lions draft? You know what the wonderful part about that question is this year? There's so many ways they could go. Before they signed every good free agent cornerback, I was very convinced that they needed to get at least one, if not two, in the first couple rounds. But they fixed that. They did it. They've got like three plus guys, plus still have Okuda on the roster. Draft one for the future, great. Don't. Awesome. I would really like Jalen Carter at six if he slips. I'm not sure that he will. I'm also not sure that with the new, you know, the new uh, character guys and the new regime here that they would actually even take him. But I'd love to add a big body up front. And then, man, we can do anything we want. This is such a fun time to be a Lions fan. I've never experienced this before in my life where we have a lot of draft capital and not glaring needs that we need to fill. So Bijan Robinson at 18 because we want to get explosive there. Sure. Future quarterback pick at six and then fix holes later or else. Great. Yeah, love that too. Like they could take almost anyone at this point and I'm okay with it. Where in years past, it's like, oh, we're the horrible team that keeps drafting first round tight ends for no reason, even though we have huge holes. But we're not a horrible team anymore. This is wonderful. You're probably feeling the same thing as a Jags fan, although without the ridiculous draft capital that the Lions are sitting on. Hey, I mean, the Jags seemingly get two first-round picks every year, but that won't happen this year because we're at 20, we're in the 20s. But, uh, I mean, if it goes the way I think it's going with three quarterbacks and then Lord knows what happens with the defensive linemen. I mean, if even if... Carter and one of Roy Anderson or the pass rushers going. You could get, you could get um Wilson, the guy from Texas Tech, a um, Murphy from Clemson, and then at eighteen, the eighteen. I mean, everybody's saying B. John Robinson, but B. John's probably one of the top four or five players in this draft. But how early is too early for running backs? So you get in the catch twenty two. The guy I really like. For the Lions to take is uh, Dalton Kincaid, the tight end out of Utah. Yeah, I've seen some mocks with various tight ends. I think there's one out of Iowa that projects as like a high second round pick that we could get. Before. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna be a little annoyed if we go first round tight end. If we can wait till early second, I'm fine with it. That that would be a little bit too much for me. But as to Bijan, the, the problem now with running backs is that they're kind of a luxury pick. When you already have a good team, you add a running back, it's awesome, but they're not going to fix a bad team. And by definition, most of the teams drafting in the top half of the draft are bad teams that have bigger needs. So we're not going to see a lot of, you know, top half of the first round running backs just in general. Even a guy as, you know, outstanding as Robinson. I'd, I'm, I'd bet a significant amount that he'll be there for the Lions at 18. That doesn't mean they take him. You know, if you can get one of the elite cornerbacks, I'm fine with that, too. If they have a quarterback they think for the future they like, great. But, you know, he, he certainly wouldn't be a bad pick, given how much they've done to shore up all the other holes on the team. I mean, what about one of the wide – what about one of the wide – I mean, wide receivers, maybe. I mean, Jack Smith and Jigman may be gone, but one of the other guys uh... – I'm trying to think. Uh, Zay Flowers, the kid from SC, the kid hired from Tennessee, or even Quentin Johnson from TCU. Johnson's the one I've seen that seems intriguing. I'd rather they didn't like 
their offense worked just fine last year. Now we'll have fully healthy Jameson Williams. Obviously, we lost DJ Chark and signed the next Jacksonville wide receiver that we were using to replace him in Marvin Jones. Okay, okay. I knew you were going to throw me under it's the-, like the It's like the Jaguars are the Lions farm system for wide receivers, even though we had Jones originally, so that's more of a we're just sending him back and forth. But, yeah, I mean, that's a little bit of a step down, but a wide receiver trio of Amon Ross St. Brown is awesome. Jameson Williams, who looks like he should be really good once he gets his legs under him. And if Marvin Jones is your third best wide receiver, I'd say we're pretty settled there. So I don't necessarily want a wide receiver. If there's a guy they like for the future, great, because having three young guys, I get it. That's the one where I'd go, eh, wide receiver, tight end at 18, I'd go, eh, I feel like we reached. I mean, it must be fun if you're the Lions because you don't, because if you go here, you go here. Plus, I think, I mean, Jared Dolph might be the best quarterback in the division because Kirk Cousins can't win a big game if it's like dependent on him. And Lord knows the fan Rogers will be a Green Bay Packer by next Tuesday anyway. Yeah, it's like, you know, I was saying earlier, it's the first time we've had a high pick and not a huge hole. Like every time the Lions have a high draft pick, it's like, yeah, but this group is terrible or this position, we have nobody. This time it's like, I don't know, like defensive interior, you know, linebacker and deep tackles is probably the weakness right now, but they're not bad. They're just, they're okay. And, you know, having Hutchinson off the edge kind of covers for them a little bit. So we get another edge rusher early. Great. You know, well, it seems like you were saying, you thought three quarterbacks in the first four, and then you figure Anderson and Carter make up the first five. Seems like the likeliest. Yeah. So even if you know, even if they went Tyree Wilson up there, very exciting front group. I'd rather have a big run stuffer type like Jalen Carter. I really wanted uh, Jordan Davis last year instead of JMO in a similar move. But you know, Jameson Williams looks like he's working out in limited sample size too. I mean. I mean, you imagine Jameson Williamson one running nine routes, and then Amon Ross St. Brown catching everything in the middle. Yeah, and you know Marvin Jones is still, as you saw last year in Jacksonville, still a serviceable NFL wide receiver. He's he's not a superstar, not that he ever was, but he's not you know at his peak anymore. But he can still get up there and high point some balls. He can still take up space, be a good possession guy. And if he's your third wide receiver, you feel really good about that. He's your number one, you're in trouble. Number two, okay. But as the number three, yeah, you can definitely live with that in a wide receiver room. And then with those three, who cares who we play at tight end? I'll go out there and play tight end. 50 passes with those guys. <laughs> All right, Billy. Thanks for hopping on today. Uh, hopefully uh, the, hopefully you have seen my 287 brings plenty of sunshine and plenty of gold to both of us. What what an exciting time to be alive for both of us, Dylan. We got our football teams looking up for the first time in what feels like forever. Great UFC car right in your backyard. Man, what a great spring has sprung here in Michigan. I saw the sun for the first time in three months. Just every, everything's turning up nicely. Just get just get a few more raindrops here and we'd be and we'd be doing all right. We need a little bit of rain here. Bring some snow all way, please. <laughs> all right, Dylan. Have a good one.